0: The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. Let's go ahead and go to God's Word together now. What the Bible says about educating your child, public, private, or homeschool co-op. What's a homeschool co-op? Well, there's, a lot of, there's about 72 ways to do homeschooling. And co-op is one of them, and it's kind of a growing thing. But we'll just say homeschooling under one umbrella. What the Bible has to say about educating your child, public, private, or homeschool. You might be asking, how is this related to the Mosaic Law? Not at all. Uh, These are individual topics that we're taking week by week. Very important topic. You might be thinking, oh, I I know what the answer is. Maybe you've got very strong opinions, convictions about this. We don't want to talk to you today. There might others, be others out there saying, this has nothing to do with me. And I would say, well, if you're a Christian, actually it does. One way or another, tangentially, this intersects with your world somewhere in your life. Well, how's that? Well, I'll tell you. Um, if you're a parent, you got kids, and they're not all moved out of the house, this definitely pertains to you as a Christian. parent. we have four children. Uh, they're still all under our house eating our Cheerios, so they're our kids. We are responsible. So we've got to think about their education. Four of them. So as a parent, this definitely affects you. If you're a student or a child, uh, whether it's college on down, and you are dependent upon your children at all, I will say it again, if you are in college and you are still living at home dependent upon your parents in any way, especially financially, you are still under the authority of your parents, that's what the Bible teaches. There is a transitional period there, but it's pertinent to you as well if you're not a parent um or you're married and you don't have children this still applies to you as a christian because uh maybe someday you will god will give you children you got to think this through you know there's these issues that come up in life where you're really you kind of ignore them or you don't pay attention until crisis mode like when you first get married all you think about is your wonderful spouse and how delightful Uh, marriage is and it's heaven on earth and you don't really care about parenting philosophy and then you get pregnant and all of a sudden you care about parenting philosophy and then your kids get a little older and all of a sudden you care about where they go to school and how to make that decision and and yikes and you're in panic mode and you got to find somebody to talk to to get counsel so don't be short-sighted think about it now people i thank god for people that god brought into our life before we were married and just as we got married to thoroughly think through philosophies of life as a Christian in the area of marriage, in parenting, and in just an entire comprehensive worldview about everything. I thank God for that preparation and training. And so this would be a way to develop a philosophy of parenting with respect to the education of your children. And maybe you never end up having children. Maybe you're older and your children are all gone and raised. Well, maybe you'll have grandchildren where you can give input. Or maybe you can just be somebody who's... Uh, seeks your godly counsel and you can give them godly counsel based on a balanced view from the Bible. Uh, or maybe this is helpful for you because you grew up in a certain home with a certain education that inculcated you or brainwashed you for 18 years. I got brainwashed for 18 years. I was not a Christian. I did not grow up in a Bible-believing Christian home. I did not get a biblical education. I, got, I went through 12 years of private schooling, private religious schooling, but it was not biblical education. So I was brainwashed. Didn't know I was being brainwashed, and so I was brainwashed with things of the world that are totally antithetical to what the Bible clearly teaches, like evolution. I remember my second grade teacher unveiling the truth of evolution and the Big Bang, and oh, so that's where we came from. My older brother always said I was found on a doorstep next door. <laughs> this is good to know. Then I wasn't a Christian for 18 years. Then I became a Christian. Then I had to be deprogrammed and reprogrammed and leached of all the wrong information I had in my brain and in my soul. And the leaching process is still going on almost 25 years later, by the way. So this pertains to everybody. If you're a Christian, you've got to think about how was I educated? How was I grown? What worldview was pumped into me? And is it consistent with the Bible? And is there some deprogramming and reprogramming that needs to happen? So hopefully, you know, everybody can benefit one way or another from this topic. And there's an assumption I'm making when I say what the Bible says about. You mean the Bible says something about public, private and homeschool education? Really? I didn't know that. Or the Bible says something about abortion? I didn't know that. Or the Bible says something about fill in the blank. And people will say, well, I didn't know that. Well, I firmly believe it does. Because I believe in the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture, which means the Bible addresses every area of life we have to contend with on this earth. Really. If not explicitly by name, definitely by principle. And we draw out those principles and we develop a world view. From God's point of view, of how to contend with this issue. Education would be one of those. The word homeschool, wow, it's almost in the Bible. Public school, not by name, but by example. Daniel, as a young man, went to a public school. He went to a pagan, secular, paid-for, free public school. As a junior, higher, and high schooler, and probably as a college student. And he ended up being one of the godliest men that we know. Joseph went to a pagan public high school in a prison for at least two years. And there's a few more examples. Uh, That leaves private school, private Christian school. Anyway, so let's let's jump into it. So I came up with instead of 12 principles, I only have six today. So let's look at those. And again, just main parameters by which inside those parameters we should have the dialogue, and from those principles, we should analyze and deal with the issue at hand inside these. So these six points are like six fence posts that establish the boundaries of the discussion regarding this topic. What the Bible says about educating your child. Public, private, or homeschool. Co-op. First, the introduction. Uh, When I got saved in college brand new Christian, very excited, didn't have any Bible background, reading the Bible for the first time, uh, meeting Christians for the first time, just liberated for the first time. I can see I'm no longer blind. Everything was great. It was bliss for at least the first six months of my life as a Christian. And Christianity, it seems so simple. Just love God, love Jesus and love people. That's all there is to it. That's what I naively believed. And that Another thing I believed about Christianity as a new, brand new Christian, that all Christians, we, we all just get along. Why, why can't we all just get along? That's what I believed as a brand new Christian for probably the first two years. So it was a naive view. And that's not uncommon for somebody who doesn't grow up as a Christian. They get saved later in life. And then just, it's like being in the honeymoon phase. and you, just assume you read the Bible, you take it literally, and Christians should get along. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. They should just love each other and get along. So it was with that brand new, naive view of Christianity that I had when I entered into two situations that just shattered that ideal and shocked me into the reality of life and Christianity and rubbing shoulders with sinners in this fallen world. And they both happened. One was in college and the other one was right after college while I was uh, still in seminary. Um... Or just after I finished them. the first one was actually around 1988. I think it was uh, a new transfer student to the master's college. It may have been my junior year. I took a required class called Christian Worldview. And the professor uh, tried to show us how the Bible relates to every area of life and speaks to every issue in life, whether it's social issues, political issues, legal issues, entertainment issues, not just spiritual and theological issues, but every Area of life. You need to have a biblical view of history, uh, of creation, of medicine, of entertainment, the, the big picture. And this was new stuff to me. I was like, wow. It was amazing. And this teacher, who was an excellent teacher, we'd do a topic for a week. And then after the topic, we'd either have students debate the issues in class, point, counterpoint, Or at times he would bring in experts and specialists who represented a specific view to come in and present their view, and we would talk and do Q&A, or sometimes bring in experts who didn't necessarily agree on an issue, and then those experts would debate in front of the class, the students, and then the students would get to ask them questions. Well, we did this topic. What the Bible has to say about educating your child or education, and this was the topic, was uh, public, private, or homeschool. And this professor invited three experts in who were not just uh, committed to one particular area. They were committed to the cause and they were leaders in that area. So he invited a Christian principal of a, of a Christian private school. He invited a, a headmaster of a home school co-op. And he invited a principal who was a Christian at a public high school. And they had very strong convictions. And for the most part, all three guys believed that their way was the Christian way. They were representing the biblical view. Now, keeping in mind, I am totally naive, and I'm thinking we're all going to sit around and sing kumbaya together, hold hands, isn't this great and wonderful? And then I was just, boom, blown away at the ensuing debate that went on of how hard-line their opinions were. And you're kind of feeling guilty if you didn't agree with their opinion or their view. That God's way is the public school way, God's way is the private school way, God's way is the homeschool way. And I am not exaggerating. The, The homeschool guy... I can hear the quote reverberating in my brain to this day, 25 years later. Public school is an accursed institution, totally void of God. No Christian has any business putting their children under the subjection of such godless leaders and godless curriculum because you're abdicating your responsibility as a Christian parent, as you are the steward of raising up your child and the admonition and the discipline of the Lord God. How can that be done, fulfilled in a public school institution under godless teachers and godless curriculum. I wouldn't send my student or my child uh, to, I'd say, no, they said I wouldn't send my pet to a public school. That's how bad, <laughs> that's what he said. I was like, whoa. And he lived by those convictions. But he tried to back it up from scripture. Um, the public school principal just said, you know what, Scripture clearly commands Christians to be salt and light in the world. And if you don't get out and commiserate with unbelievers in the world, you are not obeying the, the mandate of Jesus to be salt and light in the midst of darkness. So if your only options are your little Christian home school and your little Christian private school, you sissy Christians, you're not fulfilling Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, you're not teaching your children to interact with unbelievers, And they're going to be socially retarded when they're in college, when they have to go out on their own. These are words that they were using. It made for good debate, by the way. Um, And basically, you were being sinful or at least violating many basic biblical principles if you did not send your kids into a public school where they can evangelize and be salt and light to that pagan lost community. The lost students and the lost teachers and the lost administration. They need to see... Christ in the world and that was their argument and at the time I was like wow that was persuasive I mean I heard the first first guy and I thought wow that was persuasive man I'm doing homeschool. no wow that was persuasive I'm doing public school and then the private school guy went and then he had that in-between position uh, where it was you know we are commanded from Scripture uh, parents are the stewards of their children we are commanded with the primary responsibility of raising up our children in the discipline and admonition of the Lord, and we can use tools that God gives us that are legitimate and not sinful to fulfill those commands from God, and good Christian schools are a tool. And that doesn't mean that parents abdicate their responsibility. The parents still need to be in charge as they use the school. And by the way, the Bible clearly says we are to live in community from Genesis to Revelation. It is not good for the man to be alone, and so God gave the community of the nation of Israel to cooperate and help the parents raise their children in the Lord. And in the New Testament, God gave the church and other Christians a Christian community to raise your children in the Lord. It doesn't just take a family, it takes a community, it takes the Christian church at large. That is a gift from God. And so Christians need to take advantage of that. And that's what the Christian school is. It is an extension of the believing community, an extension of the church to complement what the parents are doing. And that was their argument. I was like, wow, that's convincing. I think I'm going to send my kids to a Christian school. But I didn't have any kids at the time. So then I grew up, had four kids, and I decided to do all three. So over the course of 19, almost 20 years, my wife and I have sent our four children to either public school, private school, or homeschool slash co-op. And as I think about my own personal experience, it's interesting what God has done in my life because for the last 25 years, my life has been consumed with education. That's what I do. By way of training, by way of experience, by way of commitment, by way of conviction, by way of desire, giftedness, I've been all about education. And that's just the format or that God has given me. And from that vantage point, I can look in hindsight and say, okay, what has God done and what have I learned in the process? And maybe some of this will be helpful for others thinking it through who are on the beginning of Of this journey but me in particular uh, I think about my training God and I didn't plan this I ended up teaching in six different Christian schools I was on the board of one of them Uh, I was even employed two times as a homeschool teacher in a homeschool co-op first in Utah about 15 years ago to one family who lived isolated up in the mountains where nobody would ever go and they paid me to go and teach their daughter English and then even here was employed for about three years at a homeschool co-op in San Jose, I also have formerly been employed by the uh, Fremont Union High School District for one year, at the high school level, in the classroom of a basketball court, interacting with high school students and administration and athletic directors, and most of whom were unsaved. So it was definitely an unbelieving, secular community. So I have those three perspectives, and like I said, we have, uh, dis- you know, we had our kids in all three. So in hindsight. Uh, what do we as parents think is the best way to go and the biblical way to go and the Christian way to go, is it public, private, or homeschool? Uh, we couldn't give you a definitive answer and say, this is the way. There's a lot of ifs, a lot of variables, a lot of factors. So that's actually going to be in point number six when we get to it. So, But I just wanted to know, you to know where I am coming from, experiences I have, training I have, uh, hands-on experience of raising our own children and to see what uh, the benefits were and the drawbacks were and want to share those with you all through the grid of Scripture to the best of our ability. So let's go ahead and look together at these six points. Oh, the second hot potato, by the way, didn't even get to it. I I graduated from seminary, started having children. My first job, full-time job, was teaching at a Christian high school, and it was very comparable to King's Academy here, Sunnyvale, everything about it was sixth through twelfth grade, about the same size, 800 students. I was the Bible teacher slash English teacher um, and other things I did. So I taught, I loved it. Not every student that went there was a Christian. There were some pretty bad kids that snuck in there. But I don't think that's the definition of a Christian school anyway. It never has been. It's Christian administration, teaching Christian principles, a Christian worldview. And then you're blessed if you actually have some Christian children there uh, to lighten the community so anyway I, I loved my job there so while I was teaching there full-time I was also going to a church and I was serving in children's ministry as a lay servant to fifth graders sixth graders on down and a problem arose at my Christian school and there was uh, an issue that was began to surface and some of our students were complaining and being divisive and I was teaching a Bible class to seniors and, and in partnership with two other Bible teachers and so Months went by and we finally diagnosed the problem. And boy, what is going on here? There's just something not right. And some of our students who were Christian students at the Christian high school who were going to a church, their youth group, they were going to a church and their youth pastors believed pretty much it was a sin if you didn't go to a public school. And so our Christian kids are in this youth group and then they're coming to this Christian high school and so it just created a conflict. They are conflicted. Wow, I, I love my Christian school. and I love Mr. McManus, and, but I'm supposed to hate it. Seriously. Or maybe they adopted another view and they actually began to believe that. And then they started fighting with their parents saying, I want to go to a public school. You need to pull me out of this Christian cocoon and blah, blah, blah. And. So it just, the problem began to mount more and more till finally we as a school administration decided to go to, and by the way, I went to this church. So I'm, I'm serving at a church that goes against the very job that I do. Teaching teenagers in a Christian environment in a Christian high school. And this is the church I go to. So a couple of the teachers, the three of us, we went to the elders of that church addressed the problem. First, we spoke to the issues. Here's what's going on. Here's what's being spoken. Here's what's being taught. Here's what's being taught at the the church, which conflicts with what we're trying to do at the Christian school, and yet we want to be partners with you with the same goal. The elders were totally surprised that this was going on, and they were totally open to us, and they said, that needs to stop. And by the grace of God, it stopped within a year. But... That also was an eye-opener for me. That Boy, we can't all just get along. So let's go ahead and look at these six principles. So let's go to number one. Number one, when talking about this issue of, so which one is right, private, public, or homeschool, again, these are principles we've got to address and think through first before we answer that question. So principle number one is the parental mandate, I call it, and that's just simply parents bring up your child. It doesn't matter what view you hold, whether it's homeschool. See, that's, that's one of the stronger arguments of the homeschool people. Parents are in charge. We're not abdicating our right and responsibility to raise up... our. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But just because you send your kid to a public school or a private school doesn't mean that that Christian parent is abdicating their responsibility. It, it can mean that. I've seen that happen, but that, that doesn't necessarily follow. But it's undeniable that this is basic to Scripture. So I want to look at two passages. First, actually... uh Keep your finger in Ephesians 6. But first look at Deuteronomy 6, a passage read earlier. And I just want to focus in on Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. This is the Old Testament. This is 1400 B.C. This is under the days of Moses. There are now almost 2 million Jews. God is fulfilling His promise to make Israel a nation. God is giving them commands. And now God is telling Moses and the leaders of Israel how they need to educate their children. This is... Theological religious education mandated by God for the believing community. How are we supposed to do this? This is huge. By the way, if you grow up as an Orthodox Jew, I had a friend who became a Christian later in life in his 20s. He grew up as an Orthodox Jew, and then he was just telling me as he grew up in the synagogue as an Orthodox Jew, this was the first verse he memorized in Hebrew, this passage, Deuteronomy 6, 4 and following, the great Shema. As a kid, this is what you're taught to memorize in the the synagogue. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, or Yahweh, is our God. The Lord is one. There's only one God. Monotheism. And He has a name, and His name is Yahweh. He is a personal God, a covenant-keeping God, and He is the God of Israel. And there are no other gods beside Him. Deuteronomy 6.4. Verse 5, And you shall love Yahweh, your God. This is a mandate given by God to parents of how they're to educate their children step 1 clarify who God really is step 2 command your children to love that God verse 5 and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might what does that mean soul might that just means with everything there is about you comprehensively as a human being love God with all you got Socially, mentally, emotionally, financially, legally, physically, spiritually. Don't shortchange God in any area of your life. It's comprehensive. Verse 6, And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. See, internalize it. This is not legalistic, going through the motions. Not some canned formula. Just do this, 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 check that box, and then voila! You're a good parent. Doesn't work that way. Starts at the level of the heart. Verse 7. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. By the way, before you can share it with your children, it's got to be on the heart of the parents, doesn't it? You want to raise godly children, you must be godly parents. You've got to know God personally. You've got to have a devotional life that is vital and dynamic and growing and, on, and ongoing. And as a pastor for 20 plus years, many times I see a divided home. Mom is spiritual. Mom comes to church. Mom serves in the church. Mom is faithful. Mom is loyal. Dad is missing in action. I have seen that in every church I've been. That is predominant. Occasionally, there is. Dad is the believer and mom is missing in action. That also happens. But the point is, it's it's difficult for the children as you're raising them when you got one parent who's totally committed to the true God and the other parent is true, is committed to some false god, a different god, or no god at all. Right? And they and the Children are inclined, they want to have loyalty and love for both parents equally. They are conflicted. Wow, do I choose mom's religion or dad's religion? I was uh, painting a house at one time, I can't even remember, and they had children, this married couple, and they were two different religions, and they told me, so I go, well, what do you do with, what do you teach your kids? Judaism or whatever it was. I think it was Roman Catholicism. Oh, we give them a choice. I was like, wow, I don't know how you do that. So it's got to start at the heart and the parents. Verse 7, And you shall teach them diligently, diligently, deliberate. As a parent, are you deliberate in the education of your children spiritually about who God is? And are you deliberate about it first in your own life? Walking obediently in the Spirit with God on a regular basis, becoming an example for your children, and then you are doing that deliberately, diligently, continually. Continually. That means you've got a plan, you've got forethought, you're thinking ahead, you've got a strategy, you've sought counsel, you've committed this to prayer, you continue to pray, you continue to ask people to pray for you, you are diligent, you are deliberate about your children. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, or literally, it's the generic word, teach them literally to your offspring, teach these things literally about God and... And the truth of this, God, to your daughters and your sons, to all of your offspring, to all of your children that live in your household, do it diligently. Before I became a parent, man, I was scared to death to become a parent. Then God was gracious after we had our first child. Oh, okay, I can do this with God's help. Whoo! never thought I could be a dad. Yikes! The most frightening prospect ever that confronted me. Yet God was gracious. But even before I became a parent, <clears throat> I, be, I just, the greatest desire I had is, man, if I have kids, God, I just want them to be saved. I want them to know Jesus personally. That was my greatest heart's desire. To know Jesus personally. To love Him. To serve him. I wasn't thinking about, okay, the Ivy League college that I want them to go to and the, ma- the career and all the money and the whatever and amassing all this stuff that the world has to offer. What good does it do you if you have the wealth of the world and lose your own soul? Said Jesus. So as parents, we gotta have the right priorities. So that was my heart's desire. Uh, teach them about God. Pray for their salvation. Teach them the Gospel. Model Christianity. Surround them with other believers. Do it diligently, systematically, ongoing, in a committed way. And, and here, uh, you shall teach them. That's A lot of that is verbal instruction, but that isn't all there is. Verbal instruction. It's not just a lecture you give your kids all the time. You live it out. And that's the rest of the passage. Diligent. Teach your children diligently. And you shall talk of them when you sit in the house. You shall talk of what? You shall talk of the commandments of God. You shall talk of the truths of God. This theology about the true God and who He is. You shall talk of them. So you're supposed to be talking to your children in the basic ongoing circumstances of life. It's continu- It's a continual conversation. You are basically interpreting every incident that happens in life through the view and the prism of God and of Jesus Christ in the Bible. Everything that happens. There is an explanation from God's point of view that you need to communicate to your children. As they look and scratch their head and wonder about the mysteries of the world, uh, the great things of the world, or the tragedies of the world. Daddy, why did this happen? Well, you explain it through what the Bible says. Through God's eye. You're interpreting life theocentrically and Christocentrically for your children. You talk of... All these things. You talk with your children all the time. When you sit down, get this, when you sit in your house, ooh, there's homeschooling. And when you walk by the way on your way to probably private Christian school. And when you, when you lie down when you're sleeping in a public school classroom. And when you rise up. That's everywhere you go all the time. How are you educating your children? Is it public, private, or homeschool? It's all the time. It is in the classroom of life. That's the answer, actually. You are consumed with this. Parent, what are you consumed with? Verse 8 And you shall bind them, you shall bind the commandments given by God as a sign, something to be seen blatantly, as a visual reminder, and a living metaphor is what that means. Bind the commandments of God as a sign on your hand. Oh, the Bible says and condones tattoos. Cool! Actually, that's not what it's talking about. Bind the commandments of God on your hand. What does that mean? That means in everything you do. That's speaking of everything you do. Let it be a physical sign to your children that are watching that it's done for the glory of God. With your hand. Everything you do. And uh, they shall also be as frontals on your forehead. The commandments of God to be on your forehead. Over your mind. Everything you think. Everything you do. That is everything about you. Your Your children need to see it. They need to see Christ in everything. You are not perfect, I am not perfect as a parent, but still they need to hear the truth of Christ in every area of life. They need to know and be encouraged. The Bible is sufficient and addresses every issue in life. And as a parent, if you can't give them the answer, find it for them. Reassure them. God has the answer. Let me find it for you. Verse 9, And you shall write the commandments of God on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So that's with the eyes. So it's everything you do, everything you think, everything you see is consumed with the truth about God on display for your children and you live it out for them as you walk, everything you do. And it starts in your own heart as a parent. And then you're laying the foundation for a God-centered education for your children. And when do you, well, when do you start this? You start from the moment they are born. That's what I My first kid, what do I do? Okay, change the diaper. Now what do I do? Then it's bedtime, and then before I put him to bed, just pray for this gift that came from God. God, give me wisdom. Then I began to do that, and that became Daddy's routine. I would pray for this little child every night before bed, and I did it every single day, and then after a year and one month went by, that time came where I put child down in bed, did not pray, started to walk out of the room, and all of a sudden, Daddy, pray. Oh no, they're starting to hold me accountable. Yikes! I'll never forget that's a true story. So, the parental mandate is bring up your parents, first and foremost, are responsible for raising up their own children deliberately to know God and modeling it before them. That's Ephesians 6 4. Parents, don't exasperate your children, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That's an ongoing process, it starts at birth continues the rest of your life, either by precept or or by example. So those are complementary, really. The the Ephesians 6-4 is the Deuteronomy 6-7 of the Old Testament. So God's view on how parents and the priority they're supposed to make of how they educate their children has not changed. It is the same. The parental mandate. Parents are the main stewards of their children The onus falls on them. They will be held accountable someday from God Himself on how they did. And we need to seek His grace, mercy, and help in the process. So there's a parental mandate. And it doesn't matter if your kids are going to homeschool, private school, or public school. The parental mandate does not change. Number two, there's a community mandate, I call it. A community mandate in the old testament you have the community of israel actually before sin entered the world before curse on the world god said it is not good for man to be alone first and foremost that meant that adam was to be married and have a wife that would fulfill him but also it meant that they would have a family and by extension uh, the believing community as well to encourage them that hasn't changed it is not good for a man to be alone it's not good for a woman to be alone it's not good for any person to isolate themselves the worst form of punishment in a prison is solitary confinement for a reason. People can go insane when they're locked away by themselves, away from other people. God knew what He was talking about. God created us in His image. God is a social entity. God is a community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Eternally speaking, we are made in His image. We were created to be in community with one another. And in the Old Testament, there was the nation of Israel. And there was an onus upon parents first and foremost. There was also an onus of responsibility on the community and the leaders of Israel to help parent that child in a godly manner, positively and negatively. Positively, by way of being given the proper instruction, the laws from God, the tools and the helps to teach that child. And negatively, the community was to help with the discipline of that child at whatever level it was. That hasn't changed in the New Testament. God has given believers the community of the church. The body of Christ. Body inherently by definition speaks of community. There isn't just one body part. There are multitudinous body parts. That's why, that's Paul's favorite term to describe the church. The body. The body of Christ. The church is called the bride, but did you know Israel was also called the bride? And that is a unique metaphor reserved for the church in the New Testament. Israel was never called the body. The church is called the temple of God. The uh, the Israelites were called the temple of God. Uh, The the church is called uh, a royal priesthood. The Old Testament saints were called royal priesthood. Church is called body. Israel was never called that. Speaks of community. And so there is a community mandate. It's not just the parents. They can't do it on their own. They need the community of believers of the church to help them raise their children in a godly manner. First Peter 5, let's look at it. So this is a command from Peter who considered himself a fellow elder. He was a pastor. He was an apostle. He's speaking to other elders in local churches, giving them a few mandates Uh, He says, therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elders. You know, here at at GBF, it would be, I exhort uh, Elder Sam and Elder Tim and Elder Bob and Elder Cliff and Elder Scott. I am charging you men to make sure that the following things get done and become a priority in your local church. I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory to be revealed. Here's the verb. Verse two. Shepherd the flock. Notice. Shepherd. That's the verb. That's the action. That's what we do. Pastor your people. Shepherd your people. Meet their needs. All that shepherding entails. Preaching, teaching, discipling, praying, leading, protecting. That's what it means. And notice who it is. Shepherd the flock of God. That's all, all the sheep. It's not just parent only the single adults and the parents in your congregation, and let the parents deal with their own kids. Not verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Everybody. Everybody. Exercising oversight. Whoa! You mean we can exercise oversight over your kid? Well, that's what the verse says. What kind of oversight? Well, Christ-like oversight. Not under compulsion, not, uh, but voluntarily. According to the will of God. See, it has to be in keeping with the will of God so that a power is not abused. Not for sordid gain. It's not for money. But do it with eagerness. Verse 3, very important. Not, uh, Nor yet is lording it over. Don't lord it over. Don't abuse your power and authority over the sheep and sin against Christ. Don't do that. So don't lord it over those. You have authority. It's delegated authority. It's authority on a leash. Keep it that way. Honor God with your authorities. You shepherd the people among you. But the sheep that need to be shepherded are all the sheep, including the children. Nor as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples of the flock. See, they need to be examples. Then you're going to be uh, rewarded by Christ or, and also held accountable by Christ. So uh, the point real simple. There is a community responsibility of the leadership of the church, the people in the church, the members of the church to help corporately Parents raise up their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And that's why we have a, uh, a baby dedication. We've done that before if you want to dedicate. What's that? Well, that's just calling our parents up and letting the body and remind the body, here are some parents who just would covet your prayers. They would like your help. They need your encouragement. They need to be strengthened. They can't do it on their own. We are one body of Christ. Pray for them. Help them. Reach out to them. Uh, dedicating your child doesn't save your child. It's really fulfilling part of this community mandate. And that's just one example. I know that my wife and I, we wouldn't be the parents that we are to the degree that it's biblical without countless people who went before us of godly people who lived around us at the time we first got married, when we first started having kids, who took us in, who uh, mentored us, taught us, were examples to us, had us in their home, uh, gave us books to read, Good, godly, biblical books from biblical teachers. Invaluable. We still use those to this day continually. I'm always being reminded of good literature, of principles from Scripture, of people who have gone before us who have the gift of teaching. You need to arm yourself with an arsenal of godly information and resources to be a parent. And the community is tremendously helpful in doing that. So you can't isolate yourself from the Christian community. Proverbs says, if you isolate yourself, you are a fool. That's what it says. Okay, let's go on to the next one. So you've got the parental mandate, or, uh, you've got the community mandate, and now you've got the student mandate, uh, which is number three. So children, it's not just all on the parents. So I'm speaking to the children. This is why I didn't want you in children's church today. You need to listen to this. That you're, you have a responsibility in your education, whether you're three years old, 13 years old, or 23 years old, if you're still living at home and dependent upon your parents. There's the student mandate. Children need to remain teachable. Look at Proverbs real quick. Proverbs 2. We'll just go through this real fast. Actually, it starts at Proverbs 1. Proverbs was given by God as a gift and a treasure to parents to teach their children Proverbs chapter 1 through verse 31. You should be regularly reading the book of Proverbs, teaching the book of Proverbs to your children. Young children, junior hires, teenagers, college students. That's why God gave it. And it's kind of interesting, especially the first nine chapters, if you just picture it in your mind, you've got this mom and dad who love God and they are highly concerned about their children, regardless of what their age is, and they are pleading with their kids to listen to me. If ever said that as a parent? Don't raise your hand. Listen to me. I am your father. Listen to me. Listen to your mother. Okay, don't listen to me. Listen to your mother. That's what he's doing here. Look at Proverbs chapter 1. So he says, the Proverbs were given to help naive people grow up with knowledge. It's given to youth, young children, verse 4. And then in verse 8 he says this, this is dad talking, here, here my son, listen to me, son, and it's a generic word for son, it means son and daughter. So if you've got a son or daughter, put their name in there. Here, my son, if I had a son named Buford, here my son Buford, here my son, Rustin, listen to me, listen to my teaching, about God and spiritual things, do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Listen to me. It's so that it's this pleading. It is persistent. It is ongoing. That's chapter one. Look at chapter two, verse one. My son, again this pleading. If you will receive my sayings and tre-... man, if you only knew what I had to give to you. If you only knew the mistakes that I made. That I don't want the mistake. I don't want you to make the same mistake. Do you understand? I'm trying to save you. Grief and headache. And then the teenagers, yeah, I already know that. Mom. Well, not all teenagers, but some will do that. So he's pleading. My son, if you will receive my saying. man, there's a reward if you just listen. If you would treasure the things that I am telling you that are godly, and if you are attentive, and if you really seek this in your heart, then, verse 5, you will discern the fear of the Lord, and then nothing but blessing from there. If you just listen. Keep pleading, Verse, chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my te- See, it's just This parent is repeating himself. Listen to me, please. I beg you, listen, listen. There's benefit. I care for you. I love you. I'm saying this for a reason. There is a purpose. And I know you, th- I, you think that all your friends know more than your parents. I understand that. That's why I keep pleading. Well, he keeps pleading. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Here, oh, my sons, the instruction of your father and give attention to that. You might gain understanding. This is a parent. This is a mom and dad who love their kids and they're just Going on and on, and they just want their kids to grow and learn and be blessed. Verse 20, my son, give attention to my words. Chapter 5, verse 1, my son, give attention to my, uh, to my wisdom. I actually have wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. Chapter 6, verse 1, my son, if you have become surety for your neighbor. Again, pleading to his son. And these are all areas of life. How to deal with finances and moral purity and uh, tough decisions and how to choose friends. Every area of life is addressed here. It's a comprehensive education these parents are trying to give to their children. Chapter 6 verse 20, my son, observe the commandment of your father. Chapter 7, my son, keep my words, treasure my commandments within you. Can't tell you how many times I've interviewed somebody for like membership or hear their testimony. I mean, it's happened repeatedly here at GBF with some of the younger folks who are now college, post-college, and part of their testimony was, Yeah, I grew up in a Christian home, but man, I was a a rebel when I was in high school. Or I was a snotter. Man, I can't believe how disrespectful I was to my parents when I look back. It's pretty shameful. And they were just trying to do the best that they can. I mean, I've heard that repeatedly. And then kind of like either in college or after college or after they got married, kind of the light went on by the grace of God. Ting! It's like, oh, now everything came into focus and it made sense. Praise God that He didn't abandon me. Praise God that I'm back on the right track. And I appreciate my parents more now than I ever have. And it is awesome. So that's a testimony I've heard. And that is a result of this persistent parent who doesn't give up, doesn't relent, keeps persisting. Trying to keep the conversation and communication lines open with your child. That is key. You don't shut them down. You don't cut them off. The lines of communication apparently are open here in Proverbs 1-9, through even though there's this pleading going on. Listen to me. Please, I beg of you. And that's a key to successful, healthy parenting, keeping the communication lines open. But here, to all of you who live at home and are under the authority of your parents, all those passages were for you. So priority number one for you today needs to be, you know what, I need to evaluate and see how am I doing listening to mom and dad. If one of your favorite lines when your parents are talking to you or this incident happens, you cut your parents off in the middle of a sentence and you say, I know, or I know, I know, I know. That's even worse. You are violating all these principles. That is pride. You don't have a teachable spirit. You don't have a teachable heart. They're trying to impart godly information and legacy to you. I know, I know, I know. No, you don't. And if that is your attitude, Proverbs is clear. You are a fool. That is the most frequently word, or frequently used word in the book of Proverbs. Fool don't be a fool and a child who does not listen to and submit to the authority of their parents is a fool that is god's diagnosis so that's the student mandate let's go on to uh, number four the freedom clause so parents are the primary uh overseers stewards of their children and at the same time they need to be they need the help of the believing christian community around them Uh, Students are responsible because education is two ways. It is a mutual enterprise between committed parents and committed children who want to be teachable and learn. And then number four there is the freedom clause, which I call parental choice. Because children are the primary caretakers of their children and they have to be accountable to God someday for everything they've done, God does give parents freedom, liberty, choice, especially on issues that are, are not commands or in gray area issues. They have freedom. Whether you send your kid to a public, private, or home school is not a biblical issue in terms of a sin issue. I believe it is an area of freedom, liberty, a gray area, which means that it is a, a freedom of choice for the parents trying to discern the will of God and how they're most going to be successful as parents. And I chose, I could have used a lot of different verses, but I chose Psalm 127, verse 3, because the wording in the Hebrew is so specific, and I'll just tell you what it means. So, Psalm 127 is about the family, and and, and raising a godly family, and a godly heritage. And then in verse 3, it talks about uh, children. Psalm 127, verse 3, Behold, children are a gift of of Yahweh, the fruit of the womb is a reward. So whether you like it or not or realize it or not, your, your child is a gift from God and your child is a reward. Your child is supposed to be a good thing. And in the Hebrew, the words there that are synonymous, because it's parallel, parallelism in Hebrew poetry, the words that are synonymous are um, gift and reward. And those word, those Hebrew words they are used many times in Genesis through Deuteronomy. And the most frequent usage of those words is in respect to the promised land that God wanted to give to Israel. Isn't that cool? That is the dominant use of that word. And it, it, it means a couple of things. Number one, it Israel, you don't own that land. God owns that land, He's giving it to you, it is a gift. It is not earned. It is not deserved. God is graciously giving it to you. Another implication of that is you better be a good and faithful steward of that promised land. And God gave all these mandates and requirements telling Israel how to be good stewards of the land. Take care of the land. And also, the third thing is that you will be blessed in that land. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. Take care of it. If you do, you'll be blessed by God. That's how parents need to be with regard to their children from the moment they are born. A gift from God, didn't earn it, didn't deserve it, need to be a good steward of this child, be faithful, and God is giving me this child with the intention of blessing me as a believer. So parents, think back. Are your children a blessing to you? Not just when you're mad at them. Don't think, don't think about that then. Think when you're happy. Have my children been a blessing from God to me? And there's a lot of ways they can bless you. Things they've taught you, how they've made you grow, their cute personalities, the unique gifts that they have. I mean, on and on you to count all the blessings. That's God's design. He doesn't want division in your home. He doesn't want civil wars breaking out every week in your Christian home. 1 Corinthians 7 is clear. In the home, God wants peace. That's what the verse says in 1 Corinthians 7. In the home, God wants peace. That's His perfect will. So it's just beautiful terminology of how God describes children and His intention when He gave them to us. And by the way, that Hebrew word also plays into the idea that the Israelites, literally, they owned the promised land. This was theirs. So they had freedom. They had liberty as stewards. And that's, Also true of us as parents with our children. I I am responsible. I am the steward. I am in charge. I have freedom. I have liberty. I have the right and obligation to take it before God and ask for His wisdom as I make decisions on behalf of my children. I need God's wisdom. I don't know the future. I mean, I can't tell you how many times... This is the same scenario every year for like 16 years now where my wife and I will sit around usually in around December or January, probably December and earlier... Boy, what are we going to do with so-and-so for school next year? Homeschool, private school, public school. And if we do, where are we going to send them? And if we do, how are we going to pay for it? And if we do, I mean, it's the same conversation we have every year. And we know that we are responsible. But at the same time, we know that God has given us privileges and freedom of decisions to make that that don't violate His will. And part of that freedom you have is choice. And I think that plays into your decision whether you send them to public private, or homeschool. And I just think if another Christian comes to you looking down their nose, telling you that, oh, you, you put your kid in public school, that's sinful. that That's just wrong. That's infringing upon your parental right and responsibility. Or they could say the same thing, oh, you send your kids to a Christian cocoon of a Christian school. That is also wrong. Or you homeschool, your kids are going to all grow up socially retarded. That, that's pretty cruel, actually. That's not just wrong. So as parents, you have freedom before God. So put it all together. And here's my synopsis. Point number five. Strengths and weaknesses of private, public, and homeschool. This is not exhaustive. So, you know, I could just anticipate after the sermon, 17 people coming up. Well, what about this? And what about that? This is not exhaustive. I was thinking, okay, what's well, just one thing I can say so I can fit it on the back of the sheet so that Nancy can type it? There, There is no, nothing spiritual whatsoever about why, what's on here. Okay? But actually, the points under number five, strengths and weaknesses, is part what I think the Bible says in terms of boundaries and parameters, part my perspective as a a trained Bible teacher, part my perspective as a Christian, part my a lot of my perspective as a parent who's raised four children in public, private, and home school. By the way, I didn't say this earlier. We've got one child who graduated from a public school. We've got one child who graduated from home school. And Lord willing, we'll have one child who graduates from a private Christian school. Lord willing. And I still like all three kids. I forgot to say that. Um, (laughs) Strengths and weaknesses. These are not exhaustive. Oh, and then, uh, so my perspective as a parent and also as a professional educator of 20 plus years. So there is... Bible theology in here and there's a little cliffology that leaked in. So you would have to discern between the two. Strengths and weaknesses of all three. public I didn't even run these by my wife. She could totally disagree with me. That's okay. Why can't we all just get along? Okay, point number eight. The strengths of public, private, or home school. Strengths of public school. You don't have the money to pay for private school. You don't have the money to pay for all the curriculum for homeschooling. We we were faced with that, actually. Some of that homeschooling stuff, man, the curriculum or whatever venue you want to do it, some of that can be really pricey. It's like this isn't any cheaper than sending them to the local Christian high school. Why are we doing this if it's a financial issue? I think that's a, a, a real challenge. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, that's a challenge for homeschool and private school, but that would be a benefit of public school. At least it has, practically speaking, been for us. The financial consideration. And just, again, laying it before God. Um, I also put a strength of public school possibly would be extracurricular activities uh, that they provide. I also think in, in the public school, I, I'm specifically thinking of some resources they provide, or that it's the full Olympic-sized track field, or the swimming pool, or even in-classroom resources that many times public schools have that other private schools don't or you don't have as a homeschooler, especially when you get in the sciences in high school, when you need to do the labs and you don't have all the equipment, that can be a huge resource in your public high school. That's what we've seen. And usually your public high school has a very cool yearbook at the end of the year. That's extracurricular. Or if you're into sports. That's totally something we consider. So off the top of my head, those are... Potential strength. And again, these are areas that I think of freedom. Uh, private school. Strength. I say insulation. If you've got a good Christian school, it can provide good, healthy insulation. And that's when somebody pointed out to us, you don't want isolation, you want insulation. Don't isolate your children. Insulate your children. Protect them legitimately from superfluous threats in the world that could undermine their young, precious vulnerabilities, growing up in a Christian home, and a private school can provide that good, healthy insulation that helps you as a parent be in partnership and cooperation in your goals as a parent in raising your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. A good Christian school can do that. Healthy insulation. In our experience, I taught in six different Christian schools. We have sent our children to three other Christian schools. That's nine we have always found the private christian school very cooperative and open to parental input and involvement always that has not been true of public school of our experiences across the board but of private christian school it has strengths of homeschool and this is true as parents you do have, you have more control more control across the board Moms and dads are probably saying that's a good thing. The kids are saying, hmm, I don't know if that's such a good thing. But it can be, it can be a blessing. You got control of the curriculum, how you run your day, uh, even your, your, you know, if you're in the public school, you gotta get 186 days in, or else we don't get our money from the government. And your kids have to, 186 days! You need to be there. In, in homeschool, that's the beauty of it. You don't need to be in class 186 days. You've just got this amazing flexibility and freedom. Homeschooling, that's one of the, it was a perk of homeschooling for us. Just the erratic, weird schedule. You go to Disneyland in the middle of the year and nobody else is there. You have the whole place to yourself. Why? Because you're a homeschooler. It's awesome. <laughs> totally control. Actually, the parents should always be in control of their child's education. I will never forget one of the, a very influential man in my life, an older man, a godly man, and a pastor once told me when I was his, the youth pastor of his three boys. And there's something came up in the schedule, and it was messing up his family's vacation time, the private Christian school. And he's, he's pulling them out, even against the words of the principal. And they're leaving for a week on family vacation. And he told me, I will never let school get in the way of my child's education. <laughs> You've got to think about that one. I will never let school get in the way of my child's education. I have lived by that to this day. And you can do that most probably in homeschool. Okay, now the weaknesses of all three. A weakness of public school... I just thought the secular influences, especially from the curriculum to the teacher. man, we saw that. We raised one of our kids for the first eight years of Christian education, homeschool, and then they went into the public school at high school and boom, a tidal wave of the secular influences, the curriculum, the teachers, the teaching, the setting, the vocabulary, uh, everything around. And they, they did well, rooted in their faith, but the influences were undeniable. And you could swallow it up pretty easily. It's overwhelming, actually. So the secular influences from students and teachers, uh, private school, of a weakness could be, I know this firsthand, uh, inculcating a false security in your kids. They grow up in a Christian home, they go to a Christian church, they go to a Wana, they go to a, a Christian school, first K through 12th grade, and they think, well, they're, they're in, they're a Christian, they're saved. Oh, of course I'm a Christian, I went to a Christian school. <clears throat> Wrong answer going to a Christian school does not save you. there's a lot of unsaved kids at Christian schools. I know that for a fact and the people that work there know that for a fact. That's not a definition of a Christian school having all saved students at the school. but don't uh, you got to watch out for false security and also this is a huge one that I saw, especially the employees of all these Christian schools that I worked in. In three different states I saw this at every Christian school, that I it was a dominating problem. The Christians who worked at the Christian school, a large percentage of them, they neglect church community. They either never went to church, or if they did go to church, they never served in their local church. They never participated in their local church. Everything, they were consumed with everything about the Christian school. The clubs, the this, the that, that, and that became their Christian community. It supplanted the church. And I was always scratched, I was baffled by that. This school is not the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. Jesus promised to build His church, not the Christian school. So that's a vulnerability. That's not true of all Christian school teachers because I was a Christian school teacher. There were some wonderful Christian school teachers that were involved in their local church, but that was, if there was anything, of a problem and a theme that transcended three different states and six different schools. That was it. Uh, and then finally, a weakness of homeschool. Isolation. There is an isolation to a level that can be unhealthy at times, depending upon how you homeschool your kid. There's a lot of different ways to homeschool. If they're never getting any social interaction, that ain't good. Children are social beings. Actually, we all are, especially when they're young. They need to get out. They need to interact. They need to interface with other children. If, if a child doesn't get any interface with other children or other authorities in their life, they grow up thinking that they are the king and the queen of the world. They do. I know this from first hand experience. And the only authority they ever hear in their life is their mommy and daddy. And when they go out into the world, they won't submit to other authorities in their life. Whether it's the policeman, another adult, an adult in Sunday school, the coach, the piano teacher. They need to learn the principle of submission to authority in every area of life. There are homeschoolers that do a great job of that. There are other homeschoolers that don't even think about it. And it catches up to them. So... Not isolation, but insulation. Sometimes when you're homeschooling, you can be myopic. thinking about your own little world, your own little project, your own little family. It's just our family. And again, you're neglecting the greater community of the church and the Christian community abroad. It's all about your family. We do everything as a family. We go everywhere as a family. And your family literally becomes an idol. That can be a problem. That's not true of all homeschoolers. But it can be a vulnerability or temptation. And then, I've heard this firsthand from children who've grown up homeschooling. I didn't make this up. They told me this. Enough of them have said it that it stuck. Growing up homeschooled was a smothering experience, especially in junior high and high school. Where, there's, you gotta start letting go of the rope, mom and dad. Hold on to the leash, but let go of the rope. Give it some slack. You give them two feet when they're two years old. And you give them 10 feet when they're 11 years old, but you've got to give them more feet when they're in high school. But hold on to the rope. Don't smother them. That's part of the sin of exasperation that Ephesians 64 and Colossians 3:17 warns against parents. So again, it's this proper balance. So I would say all three venues have strengths and weaknesses, and that you have the freedom and the liberty as a parent to decide what God wants you to do in your family and with each kid. By the way, every kid is different. We've got four. We didn't do the same thing with any of them. And we didn't do the same thing each year with any of them either. It was ongoing. It was a dynamic reality. So let's close with the parental priorities, just kind of wrapping it all up. Just some thoughts to keep in mind in light of everything I've said. Um, I'll just run through them real quick. These are just summary points. Uh, the parent is responsible for their children, first and foremost, of above, every, ever, above everybody else, regardless of whether you choose public, private, or homeschool. The parent is responsible, first and foremost. The parents need to give a priority to spiritual education of their children from the time they're born. Spiritual education, knowing God, loving Him, and modeling it in their life for them, and verbalizing it to them. Another thing as a Christian, about the education issue, don't be divisive. It's a gray area. Another one, parents um, are free to use the tools of education that God provides for them, whether it's public, private, or homeschool. You have freedom to seek God's wisdom and decide what is best for your family and for what child and what year with that child. Which leads me to the next one. Every child is different. I can't give you an answer. What should I do with my seven-year-old next? I don't know. I don't know your seven-year-old. Or if I did, different than myself. My four seven-year-olds were all different. Each child is different. Each year is different. As a result, depend on God's leading. Pray very specifically about it. Very specifically. God, we need Your help. We need Your wisdom. This is my child, Francis. God, I commit Francis to You. Reveal to us as the parent what we should do. Because we don't know. We need your help. Plead with God. Very specifically. I guarantee God will answer those prayers. And then, uh, finally, keep the right priorities. Keep the right priorities in education from the big picture level. Wait, what's your greatest priorities regarding the education of your children? Like I said at the very beginning, is it what prestigious university they go to? Wow. Wow. To be honest, that never really entered my mind. Because that's not a priority. That's not a biblical priority at all. A prestigious career? No, we have desires. You take your desires, the desires of your heart, you can write those down and you lay those before God and let Him do whatever He wants to do with those desires and goals. In the meantime, totally trust Him. Have the right priorities. The salvation of your children. Evangelizing them. Loving them. Modeling godliness to them. Having a forgiving home entrusting everything to God. He is sovereign. He's in control. Uh, asking your believing community to help you along the way. You know what? God will use all of those venues. And pray, pray, pray. No substitute for that. Pleading with God and His mercy. And then you'll look back, at least I know we can, and say, wow, God, that is amazing what you did. It's like this handcrafted quilt with all these different variegated patches that we never would have conceived. Had we done it, we wouldn't have done it that way. There's no way. So let God be in control of the process. And as a result, He should get all the glory. With that, let's pray and go to lunch. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for the opportunity to gather with the saints to sing to You, to worship You, uh, to look to Your Word together. Emblazon these basic biblical truths on our mind, God, so that we won't forget them quickly. Thank You for the reminder that children are a gift from You, a reward from You, a stewardship responsibility. And with that comes great privilege, flexibility, and accountability. God, I pray for every parent here. You continue to give them wisdom, that You would answer their prayers of pleading. Pray for every child, regardless of their age, that they would be teachable and humble and willing to listen to their parents to learn, to grow and to please you. God, we need your help. We commit all these very difficult and personal issues to you, knowing you're going to help us. All for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.